0: This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria algae body oil and Andaria collagen body lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's o s e a malibu.com code GLOW. Hello and welcome to the Outlier podcast. The podcast for everyone who is interested in building better homes. My name is Evangelia and I'm hosting this podcast with Anthony, founder of Outlier, who is passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. Together, we sit down once a month to chat with industry experts to help educate Australians about the potential of creating healthy, comfortable and energy-efficient homes. We hope you join us on this journey. Erica Bartak is an ESD consultant and sustainable housing researcher with a background in architecture and a passion for designing and promoting better housing. She is particularly interested in narrowing the gap between discourse and practice in sustainable housing. This has provided motivation for her doctoral thesis investigating energy efficiency culture and practice within the Australian volume home building sector. We caught up with Erica to chat about how we can support the industry in building seven-star homes, and she provided some valuable insight into what she believes the changes to the NCC will involve, in terms of home design for different housing types across Victoria. We also had an opportunity to discuss the requirements around ensuring new builds are actually being constructed to this new standard. Hello, Erica. Hi. (laughs) So, can you start off by telling our listeners uh, who you are and a little bit about what you do
1: yeah, um, thanks for having me. I probably wear too many hats but my main ones are um, I've been an ESD consultant for quite a long time. I studied architecture originally but I've pretty much went into consulting um, since I graduated. Um, I realised the other day i have been doing house energy ratings for about 20 years so nearly fell over when I figured that out. Oh, that's awesome. um, But yeah. yeah, my focus has probably been on residential work in consulting. Um, a lot of house energy ratings for private clients but also for some um, government projects and um, academic studies and things like that as well. Um, and then, yeah, veering more into academia now, so doing some sustainable housing research. I'm trying to finish my PhD um, hopefully later this year looking at um, volume built housing and energy efficiency and how that sort of fits into their, into their business model. Um, yeah, and I've hung around uni a little bit, done a bit of teaching and... ...basically just a nerd about anything <laughs> sustainable housing related... <laughs> anyway, way I can come at it. So <laughs> yeah, that's a short version.
0: <laughs> okay. So in terms of the NCC, there's been some recent um, changes... ...some recent major changes from moving from six star to seven star. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you think this means... ...for um, design in general um, and for different styles of housing... ...like the, the detached house you know, versus the sort of inner city sort of tied to sites with far more constraints.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean you guys probably are feeling the same. Seven is massive. Um, it's been a long time coming. So it's probably a little bit slow but also feels a little bit fast right now just yeah. in terms of all the changes that are coming in and how rapidly industry is going have to have to adjust. Um, I think it's going to be a really big um, emphasis on... ...design and orientation, I think that's going to finally come back to the fore. I think although, you know, experts have been saying... ...that's the sort of important first step for a long time. From five to six star industry kind of managed to get, you know... ...get there just by specking up their buildings a bit... ...going to waffle slabs, things like that. Maybe a few little tweaks to design. But I think from six to seven is going to be really... um, ...bring back the design emphasis and orientation is going to be huge. Um, Which means I think it's going to be really different for different types of houses. So um, in some of the work that I've done, we did a little bit of analysis for government um, looking at six to seven star and beyond for different housing classes. So class one versus class two apartments. And obviously that makes sense. Apartments can probably do it unless you've got a terrible, I don't know, fully glazed southwest apartment or something. It's not that hard for them to perform higher because they're well protected by their Mm. neighbouring dwellings and things. Um, Class one is there's a bit of a mixed bag there as well in terms of, I know some of your other guests like talking about things like the Cape and some of those yeah. great estates. You know, if you've got good orientation, you've got big blocks, you can get really good passive solar design. I'm
2: wondering if I could ask you more sure. about that. So, what are you <laughs> doing? What you, your thesis for your PhD is intimidated by these thin profit margins and what can be expended to try to, and, mm. and that just messes with the business model so much too when you're looking on that volume, you know, operation. I personally think it's actually the construction side, like the actual as-built verification side mm-hmm. of this, that's the real problem. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for most builders to use contractors of some description in a build, and that's where those quality assurances can sometimes, you know, be a bit lower. <laughs> and, mm-hmm, totally. Uh, yeah, so having that ability to like check that what is being um, built in the home is in accordance with the energy rating—that's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. kind of where I think it's lacking. Yeah.
1: So that's, yeah, that's a really good point and that came up a lot in terms of our conversations. Another big topic was around um, skills and education and whether they'd been served well enough by being trained well enough to be able to meet these standards in future and also just the, yeah, the huge network that they rely on, like all the trades.
2: Do you think like the biggest factor for them is that like they're not sure about these cost implications because at the end of the day, like for them to be a sustainable business, they yeah, they need to make a profit to survive and we're seeing this, oh, like, so much so at the moment, like it, there's, there's the media's reporting builders going to liquidation um, mm. weekly, daily. Um, we've had some Metrocon being like by far the biggest mowing um, builder in this country by probably more than double. Mm. Um, you know, at risk as well. Um, it, yeah, what would uh, your thoughts be around say like what the potential cost implications are going to be for them or for in general um, with the new NCC? Yeah,
1: adoption? I mean it comes back to a bunch of things we've sort of already mentioned in terms of. I think a lot of them are going through their designs now and trialling them on other orientations and understanding what will and won't work in certain circumstances and how to, you know, maybe retiring some of them or saying they're orientation specific or something. Um, It's sort of easy to say uh, it's more cost effective to sort of make those changes in the design phase but there's a bit involved in that for them when they've got, you know, if you're a bespoke, Builder or designer, and you're just doing that on one project at a time, maybe that's quite easy. But if you've got this huge catalogue of homes and you've got to figure that out, um, I guess there's cost implications for design too. But definitely, if they can get design and orientation working better, there should be less imposition for just upspecking everything. But there's going to be some homes where that's hard. Um, another example of cost that I had, and it kind of speaks to, um, I guess, that bigger network that they sit in, is things like subdivision and installation of services and driveways and all that stuff that's happened before maybe their client's buy the block. Um, Even if the builder knows and the client knows um, what they're looking for and trying to get the design in the right orientation, some of them have been stung with costs for, you know, the driveway's in the wrong place and the garage is on the wrong side and if they want to flip the house, they're up for, you know, thousands of dollars to move the service connections and move the driveway and some, you know, in some of the... Some markets that knocks people out from doing that. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely, um, there's a lot of I guess unforeseen costs as well. I'm not trying to say seven star is only expensive. I don't think it, it should be but I think there's a lot of potential implications for, mm. you know, what might happen <laughs> with yeah. certain, mm, mm. certain lots or certain projects. Were
2: there any discussions um, during that interview process for yourself, for your research, where there were, I, I guess there was a repeat theme? Like, were there things that they were expressing that were just very consistent? ...and maybe what they were?
1: Cost-wise or, uh, or...? Just in general. In general. Yeah. yeah, I mean a lot of the messages were around things like... ...minimum compliance came up a lot. Just um, I think I had a different attitude to it... ...and I realised along the way that's really how they approach it. They're like we're minimum compliance with optional extras. We yeah. can't impose that on everybody... ...because we need to make these homes as widely appealing... ...and affordable as we can. Mm. Yeah. So they were trying to have packages and upgrades... ...and things that they could offer to people if they are interested... Um, ...had a really good, you know, some great quotes... ...that I can hopefully pull out yes. in, the, in the thesis <laughs> eventually. But great conversations with especially some of the upfront um, sales staff... ...because they're like, we're the ones interacting with the customers. Like we've been told by head office we're doing this whatever... zero net carbon home or something like that. But we've got to deal with like the day-to-day people. And um, she, one of them was was really clear about, you know, she... ...personally she was interested in it, she believed in it... ...but she's like, I'm not pushing it on people... ...if they're not coming and asking and aren't, aren't that interested. I'm not going to put them off a sale. She's like, I'm there to sell homes, not energy. And it's like, that's fair enough. It's like, yeah. that is not your primary job. Your mm-hmm. job is, mm-hmm. yeah. you guys are in housing development, you sell that's houses. Yeah. Um, I will make
2: an assumption that they're probably commission-based roles as well. So there's yeah. an incentive to make sales. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and they could tell that um, if customers come in and they're keen... Then they've got something to, to offer them and talk to them about. But they weren't. If someone was glazing over, they weren't going to start talking about draft seals and oh, yeah. <laughs> caulking and um, yes, yeah. It got described as unsexy by a few people. <laughs> like you know, they're in the business of selling oh, goodness stone goodness bench say. tops and all this really visible, <laughs> shiny, fancy yeah. stuff. And energy efficiency is a bit of a weird fit in that in that scene. You know,
2: oh yeah, it's There's... not on the
1: block or <laughs> yeah. the normal grand designs. It's um. It's not very easy to film like, yeah, you know, or yes. show. It's more like you've got to believe there's insulation in the walls and that's doing a good job and um, a oh. lot of connection to solar because they could see solar and that was like a tangible thing. Mm. You know, people could speak about it and see it on their house and know that it was doing something good. But
2: And that is exactly where a lot of the discussions around energy efficiency went to with some of the volume builders we were talking mm. with. Is Is it visible? Can we showcase it? Um, They were talking about like as opposed to, say, having nicer window, high performance windows or something like that, but having like a visible ground source um, heat pump. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Totally, in my opinion, not required in our climate here with the ground temperatures when you could be putting it towards your glazing. But anyway, opinion said. Mm -hmm. Um, and. Yeah, I suppose the other thing that I maybe I'll just like circle back on there while it comes to mind is I touched on the as-built verification during construction because, again, mm. that's something I believe in. But is there anything f- like further into discussions that you've had with some of the builders where like what they're going to do to ensure that maybe this is going to be, um, you know, done in accordance during with the rating during construction? Or?
1: Yeah, I think when I was speaking to them it wasn't clear what would happen in sort of construction code but um, – the skew of my recruitment was that a, a, quite a few of them that I spoke to had had some exposure to a prior project or were, or were currently involved in um, Sustainability Victoria's pilot program. So some of them had exposure to um, some of the as-built verification approaches in that. Um, and, yeah, so they really, they really the ones that had had, had, had exposure to it really understood that. Um,
2: yeah, so I, I don't know, like what are their methods of being able to Provide the checks and balances that are going to be required to implement this during a build for, as a volume builder. Are they saying at uh, at office level, let's call it <laughs> what level, like yes, we believe in this, we want to do better, but boots on the ground, same thing is going to keep happening. And yeah. that if we were to actually check the like where that home's energy rating ends up after the completion of construction, it's still not even going to be near seven star.
1: Yeah, I think uh, look, they're. Their reliance on trades and subbies was mixed. So, you know, some of them, they were like, it's our job, we show them what to do, we tell them how to do it, we pay them, so they'll do it. (laughs) And some of them were like, it's an uphill battle. Every time you try and get them to do something different, it's like, you know, really hard work. And that was a few years ago. I feel like a lot has changed in the industry since I did most of those interviews. You know, Mm. everything has become more, um, you know, you'll notice stuff pop up in the mainstream media and... (laughs) um, NCC is coming online, and uh, you know, green building council's tool has come out. Like, there's a bit more conversation that's happening now around it. So it'd be interesting to actually go back and and ask them what they what they think now. But I think back then we we didn't cover it a lot. Like, yeah, unless they'd had some exposure to some kind of um, training or education around as-built verification for a, for a pilot program or something like that. Mm. It, um, yeah, we didn't get into the depths of it
2: (laughs) yeah and I mean further to that did they did any of them have any comment around like what they think is happening during construction whether they are meeting the requirements of a a Nathur's assessment
1: I think some of them thought um and I I would say this is probably some of the more cluey ones who'd been trying to push in that direction for a while um felt like it wasn't their attitude was it wasn't that hard and some of their like you know Some of the training from the expert as-built verification guys was going a little bit too far. They were like, we can get 90% there with some really simple, easy instructions and not have to worry about the tiny little crevices and the (laughs) insulation in the bits you can't reach and Mm. um, things like that. So yeah, I think there was a bit of a question around um, some of them seeing it as just, you know, if you have pride in your work and you just follow good quality construction, you can get pretty pretty well there for like good, you know, I don't know, air tightness. And at that stage, we weren't talking about testing air tightness yeah, no. as much. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think some of them were just like, oh, you know, a bit more resistant to, not, not resistant to change, but just like, oh, it's going to be hard to get everybody yeah. to do something mm. different. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I do want to share also that um, there are so many different types of operations and models here. We're kind of, I know our discussion is pretty high level and we're blanketing it all under the one banner mm. here, but like, it, it, There are certain companies who are um, privately held and not franchised who are doing huge amounts of volume but then there are also different models that it is independently independently franchised under one banner and Mm. that means that, you know, that particular franchisee may have their own contractors and then that's different to the franchisee over here who is you know got their own set of contractors like this one over here could be doing amazing work because they've got a great um, group of Mm. contractors and trades under their belts and this one over here is struggling because they haven't and you're getting two different outputs and two different opinions so I mean yeah I just wanted to like throw that disclaimer out there as well or caveat that so um, that yeah it's sometimes really challenging to get accuracy to what we say.
1: Yeah Um, yeah and look that was a definitely a story that sort of came across like obviously I can't name names and Giveaway who I spoke to. But um, some of the bigger firms were aware of the limitations... ...that that, just the sheer scale of their operations posed. um, Mm -hmm. That there might be some really um, interested individuals... ...or pushing certain programs or or, or house projects. But that can kind of get lost in the bigger... There was, you know, the term big ship got dropped a few times. Like, you know, it's a really hard thing to turn around. And it's like, that's true. When you've got like huge departments and huge teams and... Hundreds of display homes and hundreds of, you know, thousands of staff. It's like that's a hard thing to sort of get everyone on board. Whereas mm. some of the smaller, yeah, like there was a franchise example... ...and a smaller um, local builder. And they could really do some things with their teams... ...because everyone was kind of on board together... ...and they were learning together. And it felt quite different to what probably some of the huge... Um, ...big multi-state mm, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> thousands of staff organisations mm. can can reasonably do.
0: And Erica, just to be clear, your research took place in Victoria, so it's Victoria specific.
1: Yeah, so um, yes, it was sort of Victorian based, but a lot of those organisations by default operate outside of Victoria. Yeah. So it was it's, it's trying to look at volume building in Australia, but yes, it definitely had a Victoria centric kind of focus so that I could get access to interviewing people and yeah. I've, having practice here, it's like I know the regs and stuff for this state a bit better. So we were often talking in that context. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, makes sense.
2: We've spoken a lot about, I guess, just building in general and new builds, but I don't think we've touched on renovations. Is there anything that we should be aware of like in, in your research to do with renovations and alterations?
1: Yeah, I, I um, not so much in the thesis research, but um, definitely in con- from, you know, energy rating land and consulting work. <laughs> Um, that's something that I'm, I think a lot of people are going to be really keen to see what, um, how all the different jurisdictions apply the new construction code to renovations. Um, that obviously happens like state by state, but, um, it's been, you know, working with clients who do, um, little inner city renovations or infill projects or something. That's a really different, uh, ...set of circumstances to having a nice new suburban block... ...with good passive <laughs> design yeah. opportunity. Um, there's a little house that I've used a few times at conferences... ...just to sort of float my boat on this, on this topic... ...of just the challenges that some projects will face. Um, especially, you know, small little inner city projects... ...where they've got they are sort of contorted to deal with overshadowing... ...and overlooking and um, they may be attached to their neighbours on the side. In this example, um, you know, the street front faces north. Mm. They were really limited in what they could do Mm. and they would, you know, it was all well built. It was, you know, great double glazing, good insulation and everything. They introduced a little courtyard to try and bring some northern light into the living spaces. Um, But from an energy rating perspective, you know, that's less efficient than a box. Um, So we had some real debates on that project about how to you know bump up the energy rating but actually achieve all the other things that you want on a really tight site like that like a bit of more windows more Mm. views more daylight more sunlight Um, but the energy rating sort of thinks you've just got lots of extra wall and window and you get a little bit penalized for that so i can just yeah i'm just curious to see how it will play out in terms of um how well the regulations or the i guess the discretion within that for for renovation projects will accommodate the constraints around the mm-hmm. site, and and not just say, well, you've you you haven't done mm-hmm. great passive design. It's yeah. like, what well, what can you do in some of those instances? All mm. oh,
2: right. Like so, there's yeah, there will be more discretion from the surveyor on this site. I imagine the building reg two three three is still going to be applicable, um, moving forward in NCC twenty twenty two. Which for those jargon <laughs> <laughs> everyone nerd no um, out
1: on building acts and <laughs> <laughs> construction uh, essentially
2: it, it it allows uh, the building surveyor to have partial or full discretion. Um, on how much of the energy efficiency standards can be incorporated into renovations and alterations. Um, and it's usually based on 25% for floor area, um, for partial and then 50% for volume. Don't ask why they went from area to volume under mm-hmm. the same assessment, <laughs> but anyway, um, which is like from floor to underside of like roof sheet or something. It's and they're bizarre. all different
1: measurements for different parts it's of totally the assessment. So, so yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: And then, yeah, if it's at 50% uh, volume or more of the alteration and renovation works and you're looking at... Um, a full um, discretion power of the surveyor. Now, I'm pretty sure the first line item though is cost. So, mm. is this, how is this going to work? Are they, are they? Is this? Is this what we're discussing now? I suppose I'm asking for clarity. I suppose of what? Yeah, what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I mean it's cost, and I, I mean even the discretion element is is interesting because that's another group that I have real empathy for. I think there's a mixed bag of confidence and knowledge about energy efficiency compared to everything else that was in the construction code prior. It's like you know they do checks on structure and balustrades and stair heights and things. And that's different from like coming in and checking all the bits and pieces of an energy rating. Um, so even that is interesting, just how confident they feel in something that doesn't immediately tick the box. I think, you know, some people have better relationships with surveyors who understand some of that mm-hmm. in in more detail. Um, but, yeah, I don't know how it's going to play out. And I, there's pros and cons to the way Victoria, I mean, I'm speaking as a Victorian practitioner, um, there's pros and cons to the way we've been doing it so far with that the practice note and the two different ratings and a formula and things like that. Um, I think there's limits to that too though, like that, that house example of... Um,
2: I asked you to go back and explain the two different
1: Ooh, yes. assessments. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> a typical way of um, demonstrating compliance for a major renovation project um, would be to do an energy rating of the original house as it stands before it gets any work done... ...and then a rating of the proposed um, whole design. Um, So whatever that renovation or extension or um, changes might be. Um, And it gets plugged into a formula that basically gives you... ...at the moment a fraction of six stars that the house has to achieve... ...depending on how much is new, how much is existing and staying untouched. So it's trying to say some bits you're not not working on... ...they can't be brought up to a high standard... ...because you're not doing work on that part... The, ha- the original house might be, you know, one or two stars or something. Um, so it gives you a bit of room to move in terms of um, six star is the new standard and the, the new works should be six star, but some of the old house will be less than that. So the overall finished design can be somewhere in between. Um, but there's limits to that too in terms of those site constraints we were talking before. It looks at it looks at volume and extent of, of new versus existing, um, but it doesn't know that you've got... Uh, Heritage house with a veranda that can't change, or mm-hmm. um, two-story neighbours to your north that you can't design around. It kind of still doesn't accommodate some of those issues that I think development existing in existing areas faces. Um, so you know, it was it was a sort of good, I don't want to say, good first attempt. It's probably not their first attempt, but it was a good idea. But I think there's still not, and so that that whole idea of discretion with the surveyors is. That's challenging if you come to them and you say this is the normal method for compliance, we don't comply but here's all these reasons, it goes into that expert judgment territory and kind of just trust me and I, you know, mm. that's open to exploitation but also it's sometimes difficult to negotiate even on good valid grounds but just because it's not clearly spelled out for someone to, to tick the box the same way that a new house meeting six or seven star, mm. star would.
2: So Have you had any thoughts towards where you do think this will end up?
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm so keen to. I don't wanna, I don't want to preempt it. I don't yeah. know. I'm curious to see whether they do um, a new version of that formula or a new version of that practice note that just accommodates um, goes up to seven instead of six. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what's going to be required, um, or whether it's a bit more of a. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really curious. I think Victoria's sort of doing work on it now to work out. I mean, that's a pretty short time frame. We're talking about. <laughs> It comes into play in October. Um, Obviously the states have discretion to say, well, we we don't require that for renovations until a certain stage. Um, But, yeah, I think it's going to be a short time period between finding out what's required and then having to meet it pretty soon afterwards. Yeah, I was going to
2: say, like, (laughs) it's just a matter of months and we'll know. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. And, you know, it's been like just from my limited little body of experience with clients, I would say I'm, I'm lucky in that most of my clients... And, and their architects or designers really care about it, and some of them still have trouble. So it's not like they they aren't trying hard enough, or they're just dismissing my advice. Um, those little tight inner city blocks are really hard, and I think either if it's a new build that's literally going in between existing dwellings, or it's in the renovation category, those projects are going to face similar challenges in terms of just yep. they can't do classic passive solar. They've got you know a lot of other where constraints. I think air tightness
2: is really going to come into effect. Mm. Um, with that in mind, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some pretty significant results using like given as non-regulatory modes. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, assumptions built into the back end of the Chenith um, engine um, algorithms. But, yeah, we've seen anything from 0.6 to 1.2. Yeah, um, wow. Tightness factors, which, um, yeah, is significant.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm jumping around questions now, but if I go back to my, my, my wishes on mm-hmm. the building code, um, I don't know if this is a code thing, but I... The other thing I wish is that somewhere we would stop talking about um, energy per square metre and just literally talk about energy of the dwelling and that gets into like slightly controversial territory about house size and things but um, Uh a lot of those little inner city projects are not that huge. You can have a seven-star house that's 500 square metres in the outer suburbs if you want and this little tiny house that's, you know, a hundred square metres jammed in between its neighbours in the inner city is having a hard time getting the energy rating, but it's less materials, less overall energy Mm -hmm. for heating, cooling, lighting, everything else. So 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 many other positives. I think that's a, you know, we're a bit scared to talk about house size in this Mm. country. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, No one wants to tell anyone they they don't (laughs) deserve that big house. But, um, yeah, I think it's a real, I think it's a real, if we care about overall emissions and overall um, impact of energy efficiency, then we've got to eventually talk about it.
2: Well, it's going to be a very big topic very soon like whole of home assessment Mm. um optional as of may mandatory as of october um yeah for those who aren't aware of it already you soon will be and it's yeah it's amazing i think it's i personally think it's a real it's going to be such a valuable design tool
1: uh, Mm. early on in the piece Mm.
2: too so Mm -hmm. um, that's something i'll always share as well like I, i can see um consultants, designers, builders all working together way earlier in the in the process mm. than have ever before. Mm. To, otherwise, yeah, that, that typical checkbox compliance assessment for an energy rating or a thermal assessment, I think those days are done, especially in our climate zones anyway. Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that's, you know, cross your fingers. Like that's maybe that's the advantage of having 10 plus years <laughs> to like get to this point. It's like you guys have had this experience with energy ratings. You know it's better if you do it at the start. So let's like keep doing it at the start, mm. <laughs> talk about it early with your whole team and mm. figure it out. Absolutely. <laughs> uh,
2: and, I mean, another caveat is, yes, this is all very climate dependent. <laughs> so, That's yeah. true.
1: And we're very Victorian, you yeah. know, experience from our, from our background. But.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm very guilty of that. Um, apparently we're the only state when asked what your phone number is, we won't actually give our state code. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ask any, any interstate uh, residents, and they'll be like, "I am O seven, blah 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 blah." But a Victorian will be like, "No, I'm five four one 541372 Really? I it's a wonder Victorian why. Victorian thing because we're the center of the universe. Oh, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> we're the bubble you in think the you're bubble the center the of the universe? <laughs> we have a North Queenslander present. <laughs>
0: uh, yes, no, not the center of
2: the universe. No, <laughs> folks. no. I, I, I'm going to just sort of. Um, jumping on this one, but I, I mean, it's caught my interest. What was this? What was it about this particular topic that made you pursue this? as, you know for your research?
1: Uh, my PhD was a bit of an accident. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to say that I didn't love research and wasn't interested in the topic, but it—I'd um, kind of gone back to school um, after sort of doing working for a long time and was doing a bit more broader sustainability stuff. And yeah, it was partly from practice, just having. You know, feeling like one little house at a time and one lovely little architectural project at a time. Not to rubbish those because they are excellent. And when clients want to put money into good homes, like that's that's fabulous. Mm. Um but I there was actually a version of my pro, my PhD um advertised at the uni and I just thought, Oh, volume building, <laughs> like that's that's what everyone else is doing. Like I don't I feel like that's the majority and I work in this little tiny bubble. Mm. Um it was Angled slightly differently to the to where I ended up taking it, it was a bit more about marketing and things, and I was a bit more interested to step back and actually talk to the builders more about just how they understood the whole, the whole thing rather than yeah. rather than just how are they marketing that to consumers. I felt like that was a bit too far down the down the track. So, yeah, but just because it's you know, I mean, you you get on a main road out of Melbourne or yes or wherever, and that is <laughs> what you see. And I used to kind of. I don't know, wince a little bit, which sounds rude, but I was like, "Oh God, those houses!" But it's like, why do people build them, and why? Mm. Yeah, how do we do energy efficiency better in that mm. space? So,
2: oh, that's so yeah. good. Yeah, you, you got right in there and found out. Like, you just you didn't sort of just make assumptions or you know cast dispersion. You just like, I'm gonna go talk and yeah, research this. And, and it's been out.
1: hard. Like, I had someone at uni really early on when I was really motivated to like change all these things, she's (laughs) like, you have to put the activist aside. It's like a PhD (laughs) is a very academic um, exercise, which might sound obvious, but it's like it's really trying to understand the problem from a theoretical perspective, not theory, but just, you know, you're trying to understand and identify the problems. You're not actually about to go out and change all the problems. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of getting used to the fact that it's just important to, Open it up for other people and show them a bit more, and then maybe something will happen after Mm. after that. Definitely,
2: Mm. I'm sure that write myself a new job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't doubt.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's been really fascinating, and yeah, I've just I feel a lot wiser about Mm. that subject matter, even even if it's hard to write the thesis.
2: No, no, like well done, yeah, doing a. Doing amazing, like it, it I'm certain that there'll be some very interested parties after your completion, your hit submission. So.
1: <laughs> and look, it'd be, I mean, you know, I've been joking with with colleagues at uni. It's like I could write myself a postdoc or another PhD or something. It's like I'd love to go back now and talk to them all again, mm. given what's happened in the last few years, um, because it has been such so, You know, not not just COVID and all those massive disruptions, but mm. um, so can, can you do NCC is that? real. Oh, I could. Is I there so. validity yeah. to that for your PhD? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean the thesis just has to be finished but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think definitely. I mean that's what research likes to do, you know, yeah. is um, leave some pointers at the end for the next thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it would be really fascinating. And a lot of stuff has happened, you know, there's been more government... I mean there's always been a lot of government engagement behind the scenes but... Um, Some pilot programs were running at the same time. Now there's the Seven Star Homes kind of support program going on. Um, Green Star Homes came out pretty much because they, you know, they finally started focusing on single residential. Most of their other tools had been set up for commercial buildings Mm. and multi-res towers and things like that. And so, um, yeah, they have a whole tool set up now that is really targeting. It's quite explicit that it's targeting volume builders rather than just one-off houses. Um, It would be fascinating to see where that all goes and what the builders think now that some of that stuff is rolled out mm-hmm. um,
2: yeah. I think we might actually um, get some contact details or just put some links in the um, show notes as well for the green smart um, for those out there because certainly there will be plenty of listeners who may be uh, building or looking to build with sort of larger companies mm. companies who could benefit from that so mm. yeah
1: absolutely hmm no, it's, I mean it's been, you know, it's been exciting to see stuff happening... ...even if I feel now a bit behind trying to <laughs> trying to write to finish the thing... ...while this stuff is changing. But um, yeah, it's good to see industry moving. Yeah, always good yeah. to see positive change. Even if
0: it's gradual or slow or whatever, it's yeah, always good yeah. to see... Yeah, ...moving in the right direction. Um, so Erica, in your opinion, how do we support each other... ...in order for it to be a smooth transition... ...to building more energy efficient homes? That's, That's a really good question.
1: Um. I think like if I was going to apply the lessons I've had from my experience doing research, it's being a little bit more open-minded and a bit more aware of our blind spots. I think what I've become acutely aware of is that I was sort of operating in a bit of a bubble and with the boffins (laughs) and the experts and the, you know, if you stay in academia and policy and stuff for too long, you can, I don't know, you all start to share certain opinions about how things should, should play out in the real world and I think it's nice to actually have seen and spoken to more people on in different parts of the industry. Mm. Um, I came up with this, I'm, I'm trying to write this in my thesis, but I'm not sure if I'm doing it very well. But I came up with this idea about energy efficiency as a second language, or maybe a third language or whatever. I think you can, you know, once upon a time, I tried to learn Spanish, do not ask me to like speak <laughs> any sentences or have a conversation. But it's like, you can't know what you don't know, mm. if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Um, and when you grow up, grow up, you know, go through your education and you're spending a lot of time in energy efficiency and you're taught all about it or, um, you know, you spend a lot of time reading academic papers or looking at regulations, you know it really well and I think you can forget how well that you know it and that other people don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's reasonably well acknowledged that, you know, the average home buying customer might not be that well trained or expert in it. Um, But I think we forget to acknowledge that a lot of the industry just doesn't have that background or training either and that's not necessarily their fault. Um, uh, Like I'm a huge fan of, you know, I mean I found your podcast and um, I've been reading a lot of stuff on, you know, Builders declare and all those things and they're they're amazing for sharing information. I'm quite aware that they're just this voluntary thing that a group of people are self-educating themselves on. Um, I think it would be great if... Some of that was in more standard like general education mm. for like building industry professionals because mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure how much that it is right now. Mm. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, I, I'm gosh, 20 plus years now. But anyway, yeah, it was going through multiple trade education programs mm. as well as tertiary. I can say for certain that there was nothing of the sort spoken about during yeah. that time um, and it's not until you find that, you know, You've got a passion for this that you dive deeper and educate yourself. So for the average layperson, um, mm. yeah, it's really it's true. Like they they don't they just don't know you don't know what you don't know. I felt like those words should be plastered on our wall. <laughs> yeah, um, which sound yeah.
1: obvious, but
2: yeah, they're kind
1: of meaningful too. You know.
2: Yeah, very much <laughs> so, and um, I. I I feel as though it's not until it's gone to market that you can provide two products to a consumer and say this one is more sustainable than this one but has a slightly higher price point than this one over here which isn't sustainable and you'll always take that option of the more sustainable one at like a higher price point. Like mm. that's – if it's just put in front of you to decide, that's, you know, if it's within your affordability range, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I know I That's unfortunate. Well, going back yeah. to
1: one of our favourite – Topics, the whole as-built verification (laughs) thing, um, I think that's a really good example of where it's important. So it's really expensive and difficult to do a a verification test at the end of construction and find that something is wrong. So you really need the, like, education and training part and experience and, like, checks along the way experience for people to to be able to deliver the homes that meet the standards rather than just... You know, you can't. It's it's different to an energy rating on paper. Like it's not pleasant, but it's you can do an energy rating on paper and you can say your design doesn't comply, and it might be a bit of cost and going back to the client to change it. But at least it hasn't been built yet. So if you do as-built verification checks and it doesn't work at the end of the process, that's the problem. You, you mm-hmm. need you need the skills and training and knowledge and lessons along the way. So you don't have that happen all the time. Oh, um. It's
2: very challenging for me right now not to just like dive right into some of the... I was going to say the word horror story. I'm going uh-huh. to hold back on that. <laughs> um, but some of the ASBIL verifications that we've carried out to realise just how wrong this can go. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it basically goes into a bit of a negotiation stance between the homeowner and the builder to find some way to move forward because yeah. there's no way you're about to pull plaster off. There's no way you're about to rip those windows out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's...
1: And I think, the, you know, that's hard, you know, you've got to negotiate that with clients. But it's good when people are prepared to share the lessons and the failings and the, you know, I've enjoyed watching some of the, um, I don't know, think some of the builders declare and different... um. People in that in that group sort of uh, sharing on Instagram, you know, yeah. experiences of just missing the blow door test or finding some leak or oh, you yeah. know, it. I think it means a lot to people to see those real experiences and not just feel like everyone else is doing it perfectly and there's not a way to learn mm-hmm. <laughs> or get better mm-hmm. or make the mistakes along the way but it's hard when it's a real house you know you gotta totally
2: <laughs> and I think we've got a fascination for it I know I'm guilty of watching like site inspections mm-hmm. um, oh yeah
1: gosh
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't get enough and, of that <laughs> yeah
2: and seeing like what is actually happening out mm-hmm. there thank, yeah like thank you everyone for taking cameras with you to yeah. the building inspections yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah it highlights exactly what can occur there and yeah gosh I don't I don't want to keep putting the importance of flagging like has built verification. But yeah. <laughs> no,
1: but I think it's it comes up because it is important, and that's kind of the it feels like industry's moving towards that slowly. Mm. You know, some of the voluntary higher standards do that already, but
2: yes. construction
1: codes kind of creeping, creeping towards doing that. And it and it is, I think, like one of your past guests was saying, like you know, the get what you pay for. Like you should have confidence that um, you can do the assessment on paper, and that's lovely, but you actually want to know. We know there's a bit of a gap. And it depends, but we know there's a bit of a gap in what gets finally built and whether that actually is the six or the seven star or whatever.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I know I'd want that. Yeah. Um, I uh, This is actually a continuation of, of just a, a previous recording of a podcast, but it's like the car analogy of like you've gone and brought a V8 car and you get home and realise it's only a four-cylinder engine in it because that's exactly what's happening. You're like, I want my home to perform like this and it's not at all. It's, you know, and it's too late. But yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit scared too because I can't now recall all the conversations that I've had in podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, which one were you going
1: to? <laughs> You're like, go back to yeah. the, I'll insert episode later. And I
2: have a reversion to listening to myself. So <laughs> I oh, don't will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, the final question, um, Erica, we have is if you had one free wish to
1: change anything in the building code, what would that be? I loved this question. <laughs> I have too many answers. So I'll try not to give too many at once. That's fine. Top three is good. Top yeah. three, yeah. yeah. I mean I think, well, I, I don't know. I haven't listened to all your podcasts so I don't know how many of your guests have said this but I know a few have in so terms of nice. as-built as built verification. <laughs> I mean I actually wish, you know, if I could go back in time and like Magic Wand it, I wish that for the ten plus years we've been waiting for the construction code to change, I wish that we'd done... Um, ...training and education on as-built verification in the meantime... ...before we move to seven. Because mm-hmm. I am a little bit scared that in certain pockets of the industry... ...they will just be seven star on paper. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I yeah, I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity in terms of... ...we are going there now but I kind of wish it had happened before... yeah ...before seven star came in. Because yeah. I think that would have been a great chance... ...to not change the regulations but train up industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I have is really, you know, having dealt with energy ratings and star ratings and whatever for so many years, um, I would change them. I would maybe get rid of stars or I would change okay. the scale. Um, I've had people in government tell me that the next thing they're doing, you know, when they brought out scorecard or something like that, they were they were going to stick with stars because they're people understand them and I... I'm like, they don't understand them. <laughs> They're very familiar but they do not they understand are familiar. them. Yeah. There is a thousand star ratings for different things. Um, I've had real estate agents tell me that a house has a six star green star rating... ...which is not true. Um, I don't think people necessarily know what what a star rating means... ...and I that that actually came out in my research too. Just, you know, five was great, six is better, seven is just off the charts... Like, Mm. No one thinks of it as like a minimum worst allowable by law <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So um, I wish we could chop the scale in half and make it out of five, or, you know, because, you know, three and a half star house doesn't sound so amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or what Whole of Home is doing with their thing out of a hundred. went to as well. I yeah, I'm like out of a hundred. It's like put it in a, change the... Thinking around it a little bit, it's like if you say you've got a 70% house or something, that feels a bit different. So to... people
0: will say, well, hang on a minute, why is it only 70? Yeah. A, yeah,
1: the reaction that you'd yeah, expect. Yeah, and it? look, there's a debate around, you know, how valid or meaningful is the 100% or the 10-star house. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think it, get, it it would maybe remove some of the confusion around, mm. seven. you know, in any other chart, you know, movies or hotels Seven stars off the scale, of awesome. Mm. I don't even know if that exists. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, seven star house sounds incredible to most people, but if you're if you know what that is, mm. you know that it's. I mean, I, I think seven stars a great standard. I'm not not trying to bash seven star, but mm. if it's our legal minimum, that's different to being the best, highest performer house you can get. So yeah,
2: yeah, okay. yeah, I can totally understand now what you mean by like cutting that in half, because then it's kind of correlates with with everything else that we associate a star rating with, because it kind of gets a, it's a bit of a cheat for it now, right? Like it, yeah. it, misinter- it misinterprets it entirely when you compare it against those things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great one.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you know, the stars are all different. It's like green star is, you know, six star green star is world leader or something. And it's like, that's not a six star energy rating. house. <laughs> like, they're all, it's also confusing. I think it's, it'd be great to go to a different scale or something that just. Mm.
2: So so it's not a good idea of the time yeah. kind of approach here. Yeah. yeah. And you <laughs> understand
1: how they got there, but yeah. Yeah. I'd love to change it. <laughs>
2: Well, what was the, do we have a third?
1: I don't know if I've got a third. That's good. Okay. Yeah. That's probably, probably I'll probably think of something as soon as I've left. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you walk out the right. There was yeah, one more yeah. thing that I was going to just like
2: <laughs> sort of extend off of your first point. Um, and that was uh, to ask you what software you pr- prefer to use for your um, Nathurst assessments.
1: Uh, I've been a first rate five person for a very long time. Um, mm. I would love to learn Hero but my thesis has stopped me from learning any, you know, uh-huh. any our professional development in my energy rating world. So, yeah, I'm looking for You guys are using that, aren't you? Yeah, yes. I am looking forward to, yes. to they were, that.
2: They were the early adopter of allowing us to go out of regulatory mode to introduce blower door results. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I found that fun. <laughs> yeah,
1: I felt a little bit like um, uh, I've just got to finish the thesis but there's all these things that I want to do next that I haven't been able to do yet in terms oh. of... The consulting part of my <laughs> world, so yeah, so, yeah. getting um, excited about energy rating software. <laughs> well, I was kind of hoping you would say
2: that because it seems to be like that was that is most prominent, um, software used in industry, yeah. And as part of that, have you had an opportunity as yet to review the as built verification checklist that looks like it's going to come out with the new certification as an optional thing to, to obtain?
1: I've seen it, but I have not spent a lot of time with it, no. So, yeah, I know that it's happening, and I've some are. Jeremy Spencer's like postings on on Instagram <laughs> yeah. showing what's coming up. That's probably been my best insight into it. I think it's great that it might be there. Even just yeah. to prompt people. But um mm.
2: Jeremy, do you sleep?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> How do you Amazing do it, work. Jeremy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, like just want to say thank you. Like, wow, what a just action-packed conversation, full of just helpful, resourceful information for people out there listening. And mm, thank you, Erica. Slight, no problem. Like different perspective on our overall building industry, as opposed to, yeah, because I'm guilty of that little bubble as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think I sometimes have a bit of a feedback loop. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Like, no worries yeah. for
1: listening to the things falling out yeah, of my cool. out of my brain. Cool. Oh, very enjoyable. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the running a great podcast.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe we'll catch up um, after thesis has been completed and submitted and you've had an opportunity to uh, dive back into some of these other things that have been on totally. the list. I think it'd be great. Come
1: to back and nerd out more about. Oh, yeah. I love this. <laughs> Housing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Totally.
0: Thank you for listening to The Outlier Podcast. You can find helpful links and contact information regarding this episode in our show notes and on our website outliersstudio.com.au forward slash podcast. If you like our show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe to never miss a new episode. If you have further questions for us or want to share some additional feedback, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time on the Outlier Podcast.